Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 31. I'm going to read the text before, um, but before we, we, we teach. I'm going to read the whole text. It says, what then, this is Apostle Paul, Romans 8, verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised, is at the right hand of God, and intercedes for us. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or pandemic, sorry, or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is an important text. Probably thought I could just read it and walk off. It's like, let's just sing. We might do a version of that today. But as I read it, I was also really aware of how so many of these verses uh, are uh, what you might call like a bumper sticker verse. Where like they're around a lot. You see them a lot. If you grow up around church, you're like, ah, oh, I know what that. And by the way, if you didn't grow up around church, that's great. Uh, but for those who have, whatever, you're like, oh, I think I've heard of that verse. I think I know what it means. One of the greatest dangers in the spiritual life or just the life of growing as a person is when people go, yeah, yeah, I get that. When you think you've moved on from what is simple yet vital. You know how crazy it is right now that we write books on sleep, like hundreds of books with millions of hours of research from really smart people going, did you guys know sleep's good for you? Because we think we're beyond it. We try to live outside of our limits. We think, oh, I get, I get sleep. I, I, I know sleep. I know sleep, man. Did you know, like, McDonald's is bad for you? Who didn't know? I've had to sit with couples, hey, did you know when you talk to your wife like that, it's, it's slowly but surely ruining your marriage when you don't repent of it and seek to change and apologize? No, I, 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 I get repent. I get grace. No, you don't get grace. And in the same way, we can get, so. oh, I, I, I get Romans 8. I get Romans 8. Nothing separate from his love. No big deal. But I just want us to take a second to, to, to kind of look at it in a fresh way. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you were, were really tired uh, maybe it's right now. You're like, it's right now. Because <laughs> I got four kids. It's right now. I remember, um, I don't know, maybe about 13, 14 years ago, I was on staff at a mega church, and, and uh, Jackie and I were cumulatively working about 80 to 90 to 100 hours a week, cumulatively, getting paid just so much money, you guys, so much. <laughs> By so much, about 30, about 30,000 a year. We were so tired. I mean, we worked nights and days and all this stuff. And Jackie and I would have days off, and instead of going on dates or being physically or emotionally intimate, you know what we would do? Sleep all day. Sleep all day. We were so tired. And in the midst of all, I look back on that time, like, we could have done anything. Like, we didn't have money, but still. We had so much time. The, be the beach walks that could have been had, just 
breaks my heart, but th- we had kids pretty young, so we're, we're going to get that back. <laughs> but in, in the midst of that season, I, I longed to know Jesus in a deeper way. O- honestly, I, I did. And so I signed up for a contemplative prayer retreat. And the contemplative prayer retreat was um, up at Mission San Luis Rey in Oceanside. It was with a, a, a certified spiritual director. He runs a spiritual direction program at USD, University of San Diego. And, um, and it was on Romans chapter 8. It was a you know, contemplative prayer around Romans 8, and it's this beautiful location. There are quiet, it's quiet. There are pictures of Jesus everywhere. There is green everywhere, and it's structured in such a way that you'd spread out across the campus, really kind of sprawling campus. Uh, time by yourself with the spirit, contemplative prayer, give you a little packet, and then you, and then you come back to kind of debrief it with the group, you know, four or five, you know, four or five hours alone, and then about an hour or two to debrief and unpack and pray for each other. And, uh, and I mean, I started a prayer exercise where I, where I was visualizing something about God's love. And then I woke up five hours later. <laughs> Maybe three and a half. It could be an exact. But it was like I slept through pretty much this whole thing. And I'll never forget going back to the time of debriefing and like sharing. And it should be a special moment. I'll never forget. Again, it's Romans 8, man. Like the stuff that's in there is fire. It's amazing on paper. And one woman was like, I realized today that there is no condemnation for me in Christ, past, present, future. It's all gone. Ooh, that's good. This other guy goes, man, I realized today I went from cognitively believing that the Holy Spirit of God dwelled inside of me to experiencing it today. Like, whoa. And there's this guy named Larry running the retreat, really kind man. He said, "Uh, Andy, what did you learn or experience? And I just said, man, I I learned I don't get enough sleep because I napped the entire time. (laughs) And in that moment, Larry was so kind. He's like, Andy, maybe God wanted to teach you that it's safe to trust him. You can relax in his presence. You don't have to run everything. And you know what? I I think there's some truth to that. Uh, Either way, um, I know what it is to sit before Romans 8 and feel like I'm too tired to take it in. Or too numb. Or too anxious. Or too cynical. And even as I read to your soul, depending on where you're at, it might feel like white noise. And so what I wanted to do is just take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to, to make what's in here real. I don't want you to walk away going, I almost, I, I might even, I don't know, I don't want you to walk away going, man, that was an outline. I, I read that outline. I feel like I understand what those verses mean a little bit more, but I want you to, to continually grow in your ability to, to experience it and take it in and have it shape you. But that's not something I can do as a person with a microphone, but it's something the Holy Spirit can do in us. And so again, we just want to practice this posture, positioning ourselves before the Spirit of God. And I'm going to pray over us. You can pray internally in your own way. And I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit of God, would you come and would you help us give what you're calling us to give? And would you help us receive what you are calling us to receive? Would you move in us and through us? Would you speak through me and in spite of me? Would you allow um, the rest of us um, to hear you, to see you, to feel you. You know how each man and woman in this room is designed by you. You knit them together in their mother's womb, Holy Spirit. And so you know the best way to get their attention. You know, you know best what they need to hear. And so would you take the thing that I do up here called a sermon, and would you make much of Jesus in their hearts with it? It's in his name we pray. Amen. So again, guys, we are in the book of Romans. We've spent uh, months now going through Romans. And over the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul's been revealing to us the root issue of what is wrong with this world. 
And it's that we have been estranged from God. That we were created to, to know God and love God, to, to, to be loved by God, and then to represent him in this world. And that we were um, estranged from him through our own choice as the, as, as the human race. We walked away from God, our source of love. And now we've got nothing to offer anyone around us. And since then, we went from extending love to demanding things. We went from loving people to using people. And that's, that's bled out into our personal relationships and into our homes and into our families and our, our neighborhoods and our communities and our towns and our cities and our countries and our world that nothing is the way it's supposed to be. But that at, at the same time, Paul's been unpacking that God has made a way for us. If, our, if, the, the, if the beginning of all of our problems is estrangement from God, that God in Christ has made a way for us to, and that estrangement, to be reconciled to him. And with that, we start to undo all that is broken in this world. And one day it will be as it should be. And so uh, basically through the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul's been unpacking both our need for the gospel and what the gospel is. Now as we move into Romans 8, as we've, as we've been working through Romans 8, um, Paul's been transitioning into what the gospel brings. Like if it is true, here's what it means for you. And I mentioned this, there's no commands in Romans chapter 8. It's all just truth poured out over you. There isn't, you need to do this. It's, it starts with, there's no condemnation. It ends with nothing can separate you from his love. It's like, man, here's what's true of you in Jesus. And the end of Romans does that, uh, you know, a lot. So six weeks ago, I talked about the new peace we can have with God, Romans 8.1. John talked about a new hope, Romans 8.18-30. Uh, four weeks ago, I talked about the new perspective we can have, Romans 8.1-9. Two weeks ago, we talked about the new spirit we can have, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, Romans 8.9-13. Last week, we talked about the new father we have, Romans 8 14 to 17. And so today I want to look at the theme of one more gift. And that's a new confidence. New confidence at the end of Romans 8. Now last week again I talked about how we have a new father and how we have a new identity as his beloved kids and a new intimacy with him. Now here's what I want to say is if we really believed we were his beloved kids and we believe that if we believe that deeply how would that impact our lives? Would that impact how we view the world? Would we have more confidence if we believed that we had a sovereign king who is our daddy, who loves us, who is for us? And I think the answer is, is yes. Um, and so you need to see this week's message is interconnected to last week's message. If God the Father, uh, if God is the Father he claims to be, then we should live with confidence as his children. Um, a real-life person who's helped me experience the, this concept in a tangible way is one of my sons. Calvin Jack Rogers, Captain Jack Sparrow, Calvin Jack Rogers. Uh, that's right, his middle name's in honor of his mom. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, Calvin, uh, Calvin, by the way, is getting close to the age where I can no longer use him in sermon illustrations, but I'm going go to one, go one more time. Here's the thing I love about Calvin. Uh, over the years, it would actually frustrate me because it seemed like, like whatever we did, it seemed like it was never enough. Like his parents, no matter what we did, it was never enough. Um, he'd always ask for more of anything. Does anyone else have kids like this? It's always more, right? Like, I'm like, um, <laughs> hey, man, here's a Gatorade. He's like, this is a good Gatorade. Can I have a soda? <laughs> Not to, that's a lot of sugar in one day, okay? Like, a week later, I'm like, hey, dude, actually, today, soda Sunday, you get to have a soda. Can I have two sodas? You're like, dude, you, you haven't sipped the first one. Go to Mutual Friend Ice Cream in Golden Hill. Get him an ice Can I have two ice creams? Can I do two flavors? Can I do a cone? Any add-on? Any add-on at a restaurant? He's like, yeah, sprinkles. <laughs> Calvin, uh, uh, we go to Dark Horse all the time, and he gets hot chocolates, you know, probably once or twice a week, and, and uh, they're normally like $1.50 or something. 
and uh, he always is like, uh, extra whipped cream with sprinkles. I'm like, dude, you made a hot chocolate more complicated. Um, you know, we're playing in our backyard, having an amazing day. You might be like playing laser tag with these like little cheap target laser tag things. He's like, this laser tag is cool, but what if we went to UltraZone? <laughs> like UltraZone's like 20 more dollars than this is per person. We'll go to Boomers, what used to be Boomers. Uh, now it's Family Fun Center. Ride go-karts. He's like, you know what would be really cool? K1 speed. I'm like, that's five times what these go-karts are. <laughs> now I know what you're thinking, Andy. You've got an Enneagram 7 on your hands. That's you, man. You've reproduced you. Kind of. Right? But he always just wants a little more. And, and, and again, this is probably true. Uh, it's true that he's, he might be that or whatever. But, but I think that there's more there than meets the eye. Um, there, uh, there are times when Jackie and I are really aware that we grew up with way less privileges and gifts than our kids do, including Calvin, where they just seem ungrateful. And we're always like, man, they don't even know. Like, they don't even know. Um, we, we, watched, we watched the new Space Jam last night with our kids, and uh, LeBron, LeBron's fictional son yells at his dad and says, Dad, you never just let me be my own person. You never let me do me. And LeBron yells back, when I was 12, I wasn't allowed to do me. Jack and I were like, we feel you, LeBron. <laughs> we feel you. So again, we've talked to Calvin about contentment and gratitude, but recently I had a couple of moments with God where he used Calvin to show me some things. Um, and, and, it, and it changed some of how I view his constant asking for more. One time I actually asked him re- recently when I trip, I said, Calvin, why do you always ask for more? Like whatever we're doing. And he said, Dad, you'll probably say no, but maybe you'll say yes. Because <laughs> here's the other thing, great thing about Calvin. He never fights when we say, like once it's, it's like, all right. He's like, all right. He might try a different angle, different word. But he's not like this rebellious kid. He's like, you hate me. He's just like, all right, okay, let's, let's take another crack at this, at this nut or whatever. <laughs> and he said, you say yes sometimes, even when it's a lot. And I know you like doing nice things for us. And I realized that part of why he asks is because he knows we love him and he's experienced our generosity before. He's got to grow in contentment. But that's a beautiful thing. Another thing about Cal is he's always joking around, and he always assumes that you're down to play. He lacks situational awareness, right? He walks in a room, he's like, everyone wants to wrestle, tell a joker, cuddle right now. <laughs> he just assumes, right? He just assumes if you're, you're down to clown, if you're in his presence. And by the way, I've rarely ever heard him tell a joke that was at someone else's expense, honestly. He usually makes, he usually points out something that's like absurd and funny, or he's making his siblings laugh. Um... And, uh, and again, if I'm honest, there are times where the silliness would drive me crazy. Like, he just assumes, do I want to laugh or cuddle or wrestle? But again, I've realized, now I was in a counseling session, you guys. Just me and a counselor, <laughs> Calvin wasn't there. And I realized that Calvin's silliness and assumption that you want to engage with him is actually really important. At this stage in his development, it's actually a really beautiful thing. Calvin assumes he's loved. He assumes he's delighted in. We happened to have uh, summer, uh, we, we had two summer vacations that happened to be during his birthday uh, the last two years, and he has dubbed them both Calvin's birthday trips. <laughs> during my counseling session, I got this picture of a lion, and it reminded me of Calvin and of confidence. And lions aren't insecure. They're not like, man, should I take up space on the savannah? What are those guys thinking of me over there? Oh, man, that, that Timon's just, ju- you know, whatever. That Pumbaa's ju- judging me. I'm going to eat it. They're just confident, like, I'm here, man, I'm a lion. Now, I don't want to create a little narcissist who assumes it's about him all the time. We have lots of conversations about cultivating empathy, understanding emotions. 
But so far in his development, I love that Calvin assumes he's important. He assumes it's safe to joke with adults, because a lot of the adults, including you guys, not just me and Jackie, he's got a lot of safe adults in his life. He assumes we're interested in him, and he often's living that out. Uh, he's often living out what he believes to be true, that his parents love him, that we aren't perfect, but we're generous towards him, and that he's got a place in our family. And I remember in that counseling session, chatting through deep insecurity and shame connected to how I grew up and how I show up now in relationships. And I couldn't help but think that in some ways, I want to live like Calvin, confident in someone else's love. With a new confidence that I'm not alone, that I am delighted in, that I have a generous father, that nothing can take his love away from me. And that's what I want to talk about today, living with confidence as beloved sons and daughters, filled with the Holy Spirit, redeemed by the person and work of Jesus. So again, we're going to dive back into Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. These points are simple, but they're important. I just want, I want to keep reiterating that. Um, I've got four points for today's message. Uh, two, by the way, relax, two are very fast. One's a little longer, one's medium. Uh, but we've got four points. We can have confidence that God, one, is always for us. Two, will always give us what we need. Three, will never condemn us. Four, will never lose us. And I know this might seem real. One plus one equals two, like church sentences. But if you really believe these, you can face anything. You would have the heart of a lion if you believe this deep, deep in your hearts. All right, so number one, we can have confidence that, the God, that God is always for us. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Paul writes this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? So what does Paul mean by these things? Um, the things that Paul has covered so far. Now, people disagree on how much of what he's covered so far he's talking about here. It could be um, just what's in 8. It could be Romans 5 to 8. Pretty much everyone agrees. Some people think the entire letter of Romans so far, chapters 1 to 8. But a short summary of the good news of Romans for every child of God is this, is that God is for you. He wasn't, <laughs> and then he was. You used to be on your own. Now you're reconciled. And now he's going to spend the rest of these few verses expounding on what it means that God is for you. Um, um, one thing that's going to come up, though, is uh, you'll see these questions being act, asked. Um, it's almost like he's looking at the Roman church and he's saying, hey, guys, um, I know God's grace seems too good to be true. And, uh, but, man, I'm going to tell you how great it is. And, and he's kind of assuming, here's what you're going to use. You're going to go, this is too good to be true. What about this? Right? If anyone's ever pitched you on something, you're like, that's too good to be true. What, you, you're coming up with, like, why this can't be real. What about this? What about this? What about this? And Paul is kind of like a speaker doing a Q&A after a lecture. And so the first question is, what if someone is against us? Right? I, I, what, what, if, what if people don't like me? <laughs> Can I move forward as a follower of Jesus? Again, in this fallen world, there will be pain and hardship. But we can't let that pain and hardship deceive us. If we are in Jesus, we can be assured that God is for us. In this life, you will encounter spiritual warfare. You will feel opposition. Stuff will be against you that is bigger than you. Classic spiritual warfare, going back to like Augustine, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. All those are too much without Jesus. But if Jesus is with you, all of them are too small. You have an inheritance. Ephesians says everything that is under the feet of Jesus is under your feet. You carry authority with you in Jesus. 
it's hard to imagine anything greater than that truth, that there's a sovereign God, the king of the universe, is not opposed to you, he is for you. But how can we be sure he is for us? Again, pay attention. Um, we'll see this in verse 32. He says, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Paul's saying that, that how can we know he's for us? Well, something happened in a space, in a place, at a time. Something objective happened, and that thing that's objective is the cross. If God wasn't for you, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to do what he did in your place. If he wanted to just get you, he would have got you. He's capable. He's a sovereign king. But he sent Jesus in your place. So the cross provides the disciples ongoing confidence. God's work in Jesus for us on the cross ensures us of God's continued grace with us in the future. You guys see that? It's a clear gospel link to what you're facing today. And then at the end of Romans 8.32, again, he says, um, after he says that, that he, it says he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Second line I want you to see, how will he not also with him grant us everything? So the next question or objection is this, is Paul, I know like I'm a follower of Jesus now. I've started this journey, but what if I don't have what it takes? What if I, what if I, I, I don't have what I need to keep following you? Like what if I run out of resources? I, I, just, I know I can't do it on my own, right? Like you redeemed me, but now I'm on my own. Kind of this orphan mindset again. It's line of thinking similar to what the Israelites did after they'd been delivered out of Egypt. And they're like, what'd you do? Take us out to the desert to die? Like, no, you fools. I'm trying to bring you to the promised land. If you'll let me. Did God deliver us from slavery to die? Did God save us from Satan's sin and death just so we live a mediocre, miserable, religious life full of sad persecution and pain? And am I going to be on my own to face it? Well, how would I need to deal with it? Am I going to be able to make it? And that's point number two. Um, you know, we're going to be fine because we can have a confidence that God will always give us what we need. What we need. I'm glad I used Calvin earlier. We don't always give him what he wants. But his life's been changed by being given what he needs. He can count on it. He, Paul's arguing from the, uh, the greater to the lesser. Like, if he gave you his son, you can trust him with smaller things. If he gave you his son, he's going to take care of you. Again, it might not be what you need, but it not, might not be what you want, but it will be what you need. We can have confidence that God will always give us what we need to follow him. He's so generous to us when we slow down and look, family. There's so much generosity of God all over. There's common grace everywhere, and then there's particular grace to you all the time. I'm not saying your life's easy at all. Paul's not assuming that, by the way. He's going to hit a lot. This is in a health wealth chapter. But he's generous to you in the hard stuff, which is why we can face it. All right, we'll keep reading Romans 8, 33 to 34. Uh, the objection Paul's going to deal with here is one that I think we're pretty familiar with. What if I'm too sinful and weak to keep following Jesus? What if I don't have what it takes? On judgment day, is it going to go bad for me? Like one day I'm going to get there, it's not going to be good. He goes, well, it, it depends. And this leads to my third point. We can have confidence that God will never condemn us if we're in Christ. We can have confidence that God will never condemn us. Scripture tells us that God, um, essentially, I'll just try to move through this for time. Jesus is going to be the one that will judge us one day. We see that. And on, on, on the day of judgment, he's going to look at me and he's going to judge me. 
And to be honest, I'm not going to be good enough in my own merit. But in his own body, in his, uh, his hands, Revelation says there will still be holes in his hands. Okay, but, but I died for you. In my own body is the reason for your acquittal, is the reason for your justification. On top of that, Paul says that we have this judge who stands there interceding for us based on that finished work. He's our advocate. So we have, confi- we have confidence that one day we won't be condemned because Jesus was condemned for us. So there's a judgment day confidence. But there would be a confidence today. If God doesn't condemn you, you don't get to condemn yourself. If God's forgiven you, you don't need to forgive yourself. You can rest in his forgiveness. If God's not condemning you, no one else can either. And if no one can either, that means people can tell you hard things about you and not be crushed because they're not condemning you, they're blessing you. Jesus took the condemnation. You can just grow as a person now. What needs to grow and change isn't tied to your fundamental identity or your standing. Again, if you're sure God's accepted you, would you be worried about someone else's approval? From your spouse to your boss to random people you don't even know on the street. Now, a lot of you guys struggle with feelings of insecurity. Um, and again, by the way, there's a lot of reasons why you know, we were to like take stock and look at our life and the messages we've received from you know, our families of origin and our faith, formative faith communities and uh, TV and music video. We go on and on and on. But at the end of the day, this truth will set you free the more you rest in it. You might need to do work to undo some of that stuff, but man, there's a whole lot of freedom on the other side of this thing. I'm not saying it's easy But at the core of becoming a new person is a realization that you have a heavenly father who approves of you, that thought you were worth saving, that thought you were worth being reconciled to. You are justified in his sight, and he's got a purpose for you that's greater than you could ever imagine for yourself. That's what's true of you. Which leads to our last objection. Um, uh, You know, someone might say, hey, Paul, what what if something really bad happens, right, and it's painful, can I have confidence that I'll still follow Jesus then? I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. I don't know if I have a weird mind, but I've thought before, if I was in a severe persecution situation, could I stand? Have you guys have ever thought about that before? We see this in the life of Peter, right? Like he, when, when, when the rubber meets the road, stuff gets real. He's like, I don't even know this guy. He had just pledged kind of the ride or die, I'm always with you, Jesus, which he didn't even need to do. I don't know if you guys have ever had it before. Friends like, I'll do anything. You're like, I don't need to do that. And then they don't even do the, the bare minimum. <laughs> Kind of overpromise, underdeliver. That's Peter. But I've thought, man, you know, I, 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 I've told this story a million times about that guy from Karachi, Pakistan. He was in a wheelchair and he had more joy than me. And he said, I've had a Kalashnikov rifle held to my head more times than I can remember. And if they pull the trigger, I win. I get to be with Jesus. Full of faith. He, he's paraplegic. Uh, yeah, he couldn't walk. Um, and, uh, and he had like the Taliban in his neighborhood. He's like, I'll be fine. And uh, I was, man, would I have that kind of confidence, right? Because like, I, I kind of punk out. I'm a pastor, and in certain settings, I'm like, oh, certain people are like, I don't want them to know I'm a pastor straight away. The conversation. Well, I want to like, I want them to think I'm like kind of cool before we really get into it, or I'm normal, or it doesn't matter. It's just stuff I believe you're not going to think is cool. It's 2021. I, I follow the scriptures. It's not always going to be an easy go. But, but Paul, um, he comes at it from a different angle. He says, you can have a confidence that God will never lose you. He's not going to lose you. 
Um, in verses 35 to 37, uh, Paul's going to list some, like, like separators. Um, so Danny says, what can separate us from the love of Christ, right? Like, what if something really bad happens? Could this pull me away from Jesus, in other words? He says, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you got, see a lot of different things going on here. You've got, you've got tribulation and distress, which refers to kind of the various troubles that put pressure on us. Um, and, and, and likely the ones that lead us into like sin, like the things that come our way, right? And, and again, I think we, as a church, we've talked a lot about this idea of being a gospel-centered church. We go, man, uh, your heart, th- what's in your heart causes you to do it out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But I think we've done a disservice. We've almost acted like circumstances don't matter at all, and they do. Now, they, they're, they're, they contribute to what's going on. They don't cause it. I think that's still true. But they do contribute, right? They're contributive, not causal. Uh, there are times that stuff comes in your way, and it makes it harder to follow Jesus if you don't work at it. Does that make sense? My wife's laughing at me. Uh, I think tied to a low moment I had yesterday um, involving my kids and popsicles, but we'll <laughs> it's true. All right, I just got to move on. No one's, no one knows, right? But there's going to be moments where, where, where um, you are jealous uh, or someone's jealous of you or you're criticized or you're in conflict or you feel rejected or humiliated or you get a bad health prognosis or there's a miscarriage or your money runs out or a false accusation hits, or, or whatever it is, there's going to be moments where you're going to want to like take matters in your own hands and do your own thing to numb the pain, to get revenge. Paul says those types of things are still going to come into your life. There's also persecution. Uh, it confronts Christians. Um, um, uh, Michael Eaton, a commentator, he writes this. He says it's easier to face persecu- persecution when the entire church is affected, when you have like a band of brothers and sisters with you but even more difficult to face when one is facing a vicious attack alone for their faith. We see famine and nakedness, the idea of poverty. We see peril, just straight-up danger, which leads to kind of the, the end of the persecution road, which is the sword, which would have been the instrument of execution. Maybe times when the Christian's in danger of losing their life for following Jesus. I mean, he, he's not acting like it's going to always be easy. But he says... Looking at all of that, we can go, I'm more than a conqueror when it comes to these things. Through him who loved me. It's not me, it's him. I've hitched my wagon to Jesus. He is the reason why I'm more than a conqueror. Okay? He's the, <laughs> he's the best player on my team. I experienced the victory, but it's, it's him. So can we really have confidence that we can stand against such pressures and trials? Can we keep following him in a post-Christian, post-pandemic future? Yes, Paul says we can. We're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. It's more than all right in Jesus. Paul lays this out in Romans 8.37 again. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now I'm going to do what I, what I, last week I said you shouldn't do this at the end of a sermon, and I did it. I'm going to do it again, which means we've got a bad habit we're working with here. There's a commentary written by a man named Michael Eaton. Uh, He's a scholar. I'm going to read a long commentary quote. That's what's coming. All right. 
Uh, it's written by Michael Eaton. He's a scholar. He was also a church planner into a war-torn developing world. He actually uses his uh, scholarly ability not to hang out in a seminary. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but he actually, um, he created a ministry that's uh, designed here. It's commentaries that, like, um, people in the developing world could read to use to prepare sermons. That's his ministry. Uh, he actually died preaching at a friend of ours church in South Africa, um, I don't know, three years ago. He's an amazing man. He's a friend of Chris Vianon's. this great guy. Um, and I uh, was trained at, like, Oxford and stuff. Like, he's, he's an amazing guy. But he says this. He says, when it comes to Romans 8.37, he says, and just please, t- like, I, I'm not reading this as an academic quote. Like, it stirred my affections. He says, the tense is a past tense. It says that through him who loved us. Loved us. Past tense. It is not simply that God loves us, all that, although that is true. But Paul's point is that God has already done everything that needs to be done for our total safety. My own weakness will not stop me getting to the new heavens and new earth in which dwells righteousness. This thought might worry me. It is true that none of these things can block my way getting to glory, but maybe I can separate myself from the love of God. Christians have been known to give way under pressure. Surely I might fall under the pressure of tribulation or persecution. Could not my own failure cause me to be separated from the love of Jesus? But this was the very anxiety that Paul was thinking of when he wrote Romans 8, 35 to 37. The danger that he had in mind was that we ourselves might turn away from God's love in Christ Jesus because of the tribulation or persecution or whatever that might come upon us. This is the very thing that Paul is denying is possible. He is not denying that we can ever fall or fail. He knows too well that we can fail badly. He is not denying that we can fail, but he he is denying that the love of God will ever be taken away because of our failure. Even if we fail, the love of God will not be taken away. We shall still never be separated from the love of God in Christ. It is no good thinking, but we ourselves could stop ourselves from getting to glory. I talked to you guys, the pastor. You guys believe that still? Just glad Michael Eaton's here to tell you you can't. Paul was thinking of that very question. He was dealing with the very things that we might think could rob us of salvation. When he says nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love, are not we ourselves included in this? Would it not completely nullify everything Paul has said in Romans 8 if there were, after all, a possibility that something shall separate us from God's love to us in Christ? Which leads to Paul's closing um, words in this chapter. Verse 38, as we look at that, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.